you pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there anything here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. So, you know, sometimes we think of the story of Jonah as just a fairy tale, yeah. but Jesus seemed to think it was fact. It was fact, and in fact, he inserted it in his conflict with the Pharisees. What was that about? Yeah, and why Jonah of all things? Let's find out. Today, on, on More, More Than, Than Ink. Ink. and welcome. This is More Than Ink, and I'm Dorothy. And I'm Jim. And we've been talking about Jesus, about what Jesus said about sin, about the unforgivable sin, yeah. the one thing that God will not forgive, and that is refusing to recognize the work of his Holy Spirit, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. So where we pick up today in Matthew 12, we're starting in verse 33, but mm-hmm, we left mm-hmm. off with that statement that Jesus said, you know, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you don't gather with me, you're scattering. And whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Mm. So that's what we just were talking about. Yes. And so yes. Jesus, we're going right on in this passage, like without even taking a breath. He yeah. just presses right on. Yeah, let me add something to that. We're talking about the fact that Jesus says, you're either with me or you're against me. Right. This, this kind of spiritual binary, there's no right. in between. And I might remind you that in a lot of popular culture right now, a lot of people want to adopt this view that there's many ways to right. God, that there's like a spectrum of ways of spirituality. But Jesus is very clear here. There's actually not. It's a binary. You're either for him or against him, and he defines the entire spiritual world. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. He's the way to God. Now, there may be many ways to Jesus. Right. You right. can come toward Jesus from a lot of different directions, but once you arrive at Jesus, he is the decision point. He's yeah. the dividing sword. Well, and it makes sense because Jesus is fully God and fully man. Right. He's the creator. And so when the creator himself comes in and enters into his creation as a man, uh, he he's the dividing point for everything else. From that point, it doesn't matter what all the man-made religions say. It's right. really all about right. the creator himself making a you know an appearance he among us. He came to tabernacle to dwell among right. us so that right. we could see him. Right, so, so so that sets the binary of all spiritual reality. So what do you do with Jesus? Right. Well, today we are in chapter 12. You can follow with us. We're at verse 33, and uh, he's going to continue on his response to the Pharisees, who last time we were here were very actively against him. In fact, they were conspiring to figure out how to destroy him. And so he's had this confrontation with them, and he continues to make commentary on their opposition to him. Okay, and he's going to talk about good trees and good fruit and bad trees and bad fruit, which yes. he had already opened that idea and used that picture back in the Sermon on the Mount, back That's in right. chapter 7 That's right. of Matthew. Yeah. So you can go back and look at that. Yeah. He's not saying anything new here, right. but it's very pointedly applied to the spiritual leadership that he's talking yeah. to. Think about the Pharisees now as we enter into verse okay. 33. Are we ready to read? Shall I read? Yeah, Okay, ahead. so... Uh, so either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. 
Yeah, stop there for just yeah, a second. That's a great right? metaphor. The fruit identifies the tree. It do- totally right? you does. You know what's right, grown, what right. kind of tree it is by what's grown on the branches. Right. And it produces fruit that's determined by its nature. Right. And it cannot change that. So he's saying you either make, if you make good fruit, you're a good tree. If you make bad fruit, you're a bad tree. That's just kind of, we know this. And this he said back in Matthew 7, you cannot, be, a good tree will not produce bad fruit. And right. a bad fruit can't produce, a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Right. So he's talking quite pointedly at the Pharisees right. here, the bad fruit in their lives. And so he goes on pretty directly. Oh my gosh, look and, at this. And he says in their face, you, you brood, brood of vipers. vipers. Oh my gosh. <laughs> How can you speak good when you are evil? See, there's the fruit not matching mm-hmm. the nature. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Uh, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Oh, wow. wow. You brood of vipers. You're a brood of vipers. Okay, so this is name calling. Well, <laughs> yeah. And this is not the first time he'll use no, this phrase about right. them. Yeah. Brood of vipers. And by the way, that's not a bad translation. Brood actually just means offspring. A whole bunch. So you're, you're the offspring of snakes. <laughs> right. Which is interesting. That right? Is. Because it the is. original liar, the original seducer of mankind was pictured as a snake right in the garden of eden so he's basically saying you are the offspring of satan in the garden of eden you are leading people astray right here you brood of vipers but he's called them a bad tree making bad fruit right and he says for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks right right? what what you are full of is evidenced by what comes out your mouth. Yeah. So, you know, the nature of the good tree, the bad tree, well, the bad tree is their heart. They have bad hearts. And the fruit out of their lives is bad words. In fact, they just, last time we saw them, they were calling Jesus from Beelzebul, from the devil. Right. Well, there's some bad fruit right there. (laughs) Okay, but there's some interesting stuff here when he says, um, on the day of judgment, first of all, there is a day coming. There is a day. Right? When when people will give account for every careless word every Mm -hmm. useless unprofitable uh rotten word rotten word right right right, but but then he says for by your words you'll be justified by your words you'll be condemned Mm -hmm. well it's interesting Mm -hmm. because if you look into these word words Mm -hmm. there's two Mm -hmm. different greek words at work here so the first one when he says every careless word that word is the less common word a a rhema it means the substance the reality behind what you're talking about yeah yeah. right the heart of it yeah but by your words your logos your intelligent communication you'll be justified or shown to be right or you'll be condemned so it's just another way of saying what's in your heart the substance of what's in your heart is communicated by what comes out your mouth right what is your reality and that's what you talk about well and in a in a very strong implication too he says you'll be condemned that's a courtroom term Mm -hmm. and what you do in courtroom is you bring witnesses to testify with their words one way or the other and he says you know what we're not going to have to call witnesses because your own words Mm. will testify against Mm -hmm. you your own words will show the true nature of your heart it'll show whether you're a good tree or a bad tree based on the very words 
that will bring back up in court and you'll be condemned by those. So I thought God judges us on the basis of what we do, mm-hmm. not what we say. Right. But here Jesus is making this very tight connection between what comes out your mouth representing who you really are inside, yeah. which of yeah. course is what you do. When they later on in his ministry, when they came to Jesus and said, what do we do to be doing the works of God? This is mm-hmm. in John 6. Mm-hmm. He said, this is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. Yeah, yeah. These guys clearly did not believe. They were so determined that he couldn't be the son of God that they refused to see the reality that was in front of their yeah. face. And that is the basis on which they will be judged. So it is true that you'll know the tree by its fruit. And you know, we used to have small fruit trees on our land. <laughs> and, right. uh, and and really, you know, you plant these trees, they all look pretty much the same, well, even yeah. after they, they put on leaves well, after the winter. We had a bunch of varieties of apple trees and yeah. they all pretty much do look the same. And, and so, you know, we understand this. Without seeing the fruit, you really can't tell about the hidden nature right. of the inside of the thing. And I really like that picture because our hidden nature inside of us, it many times is even opaque to us. We don't understand yes. until some kind of horrible word comes out our mouth oh. and we're thinking, man, am I twisted and messed up inside? Uh, that has, you know, I can really identify with this. Because yeah. there have been times when I did not know I felt something or thought something until it came flying out my mouth. There and then it is. I was utterly <laughs> shamed at what I, know. I had said. I know. And, and so Jesus is trying to give us a clue that not only he understands who we are based on the fruit of our lips, but we can understand right. who we are based on the fruit of our lips. And, and there's many times we say stuff, and even after it's coming through our, out of our mouth, we're, we're wishing we can pull it back into our mouth, yeah. but you can't. You've launched it already. But it is so indicting in, in terms of what our hearts are like. And sure enough, that fruit will determine, not determine, they'll reflect who you are. The New Testament has a great deal to say. Actually, Proverbs does also about yeah. our words and our speech. Yeah. So let me just plop a couple of other references out here. If you're interested in reading more about this, you might go to James chapter 3, mm-hmm. 2 to 12. Mm-hmm. You might look at Ephesians 4, 29 and 30, where Paul actually says, the kind of fruit we speak may grieve the Holy Spirit mm-hmm, who's within mm-hmm. us, right? right, right. Uh, Colossians 4, 6 also talks about the fruit of, that comes out of our mouths. So you might just go and look at those. Yeah, yeah. And I might remind you too, in a positive sense, you know, Paul said in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, heart, which is what's reflected, that's the right. fruit and the nature, uh, and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But, you know, there's something about the fruit of your heart coming out in terms of confessed words, which is just a really big deal. And there, and there seems to be a, this concreteness about yeah. the words that yeah. indicate a concrete reality of the heart. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's push on. What do you say? Yeah, let's do. We go into funny territory as he continues, to, oh, I love this passage. continues to spar with the Pharisees. Verse 38. Okay, so verse 38. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Okay, wait a minute. <laughs> what had they been seeing? The blind hello, seeing, the hello. deaf hearing, the lame walking. Makes me laugh every but time. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Mm-hmm. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Hmm. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Sure and behold, yep. something greater than Jonah is here. 
The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. <laughs> okay, so. It just amazes here's me. Here's two more of these greater than statements where Jesus had said a couple of chapters back, something greater than the temple is here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of this reference to Jonah? Well, what he's, they ask him for a sign. Right. And he's saying, basically, I am going to be your sign. Right. I am your sign. Just hold on to your seats. Watch this, because I'm going to be put into three days, three nights, into the heart of the earth. Well, that's clearly buried. Right. And, uh, and, and yet that's not going to be a final thing. But with Jonah, the same thing. Jonah, very, he went out and served the Ninevites, his right. enemies, his hostile, hostile enemies. And he went out and served them by his words, good fruit, speaking okay. about the forgiveness of God. Well, the Ninevites they, they, repented. They turned, but, but he ended up going into the belly of the whale in a sense dying well, himself that was first yeah right jonah when he went to minister to preach to the ninevites was in essence himself raised from the dead because mm-hmm, he had mm-hmm. spent three days in the belly of a fish right and then got right barfed up and, went, and surely that changed right, his appearance right so he was in a in a sense dead he was and dead rose and then people and brought the Ninevites life repented and yeah. were saved yeah well there's the picture jesus says this is greater than what happened to Jonah, what well, I'm going to yeah. do. And if greater. the Ninevites responded based on right. Jonah, then how comes you guys aren't responding based on what you're seeing with me? Why are you asking well, for a sign? Wicked Gentiles yeah. in another nation entirely, yeah. way outsiders yeah. from Israel. Yeah, nasty, nasty people. But he's really making this contrast. Look, the Ninevites responded how comes you're not? And look at what you've seen. Well, and then he uses the, the example of the queen of the south, right? The queen of Sheba who comes to right. hear the wisdom of Solomon. Again, we have a picture of an outsider coming from far away to hear what Solomon has to say. She responded. He says, Something yeah. greater than Solomon is here. Right, right, right. The wisdom of God is standing incarnate in front of you. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to read that story, it's actually very short. It's in First Kings 10. Mm-hmm. And uh Queen of Sheba, she's a queen from Africa, from mm-hmm. Ethiopia probably, and she hears she hears statements and and descriptions of what's going on in Israel with Solomon and his wisdom and what goes on. And she just can't believe it. So she travels up to Israel. She visits Solomon. She says, I'm here to ask you some hard questions. And he gives her a tour. He doesn't hide anything. And she says, man, I haven't been told the half of it. This is just incredible. So her response is really quite dramatic. And, And she praises Solomon for his wisdom. And he talks about who God is. Well, if the Queen of Sheba responded to great Solomon, and yet you're not willing to respond to me, but something greater than Solomon is here. What's your guy's problem? <laughs> what does that say about you? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But something greater than Solomon is here. This That's really it's pretty interesting that out there. Jesus says this in response to them saying, God, you know, give us a sign. Give us, give us a, a sign. pointer. Yeah, Show yeah, us yeah, a yeah. perform on demand. Right. 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 Give us the kind of miracle we want. Right. Right. And he says, you know, I... It, Later on in his ministry, he said, even if someone rises from the dead, they wouldn't believe. They won't believe. Right, because they have determined that he can't possibly be the one. And that's exactly the sign they're going to get. Right. And it will not be persuasive to them. It will not. In fact, even in their asking for the sign right here, I think this is kind of a mocking thing in a sense. I mean, they want to have their arms twisted behind their back to be forced to believe he's the Messiah. That will never happen. God will never force that. Some kind of miracle that suits their 
right their purposes right and and how it is that what he's been doing up to this point is missed their <laughs> missed their gaze i, I don't know well, he's been but, ministering to the poor and the needy and the broken yeah but it does remind me, even even at the crucifixion, you know, they say, you know, let him come right. down from the cross, you know, and, we'll, and we will believe in him. We will believe in him if he comes down right. off the cross, which he clearly can do. But then, you know, in the three days and three nights, he'll rise from the dead. Did that convince them? No. no. So in a sense, this isn't really a wholehearted request. But but still, he doesn't say, I'm never going to give you a sign. He's saying, I am your sign. Watch. You know, it's interesting that you should make reference to calling him to come down from the cross because that actually was compelling for Nicodemus Mm -hmm. and for Mm -hmm. Joseph of Arimathea because remember, they're the ones who went to Pilate and asked for the body. They were unafraid to be identified with him at that Mm -hmm. point by the time Mm -hmm. he was crucified. That's interesting to me. Yeah, yeah, pretty fascinating. So they, they ask for a sign and he says, I got one coming for you. But but Jesus knows it's not going to be persuasive. So look where he goes. That's what he's coming back to talk about unclean spirits. Yeah. Now again, yeah. forty three. Yeah. Matthew presents this all of a piece. It's part of the same conversation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. verse forty three, Jesus says, "When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says." I'll return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Mm. What is he talking about? (laughs) First off, it's interesting. This is not the principal idea, but it's interesting that he gives great power to the fact that uh, spirits can actually occupy us like Mm -hmm. a house. And, uh, and that's not just some kind of hocus-pocus stuff. We're talking real things here. So when we talk about Jesus himself as being fully man and fully God, fully vested with the Holy Spirit inside, that's not really a foreign concept to have a, a spirit, the spirit of God inside you. And later on, Paul himself will say it's Christ in you, the hope right, of glory. So right. God's spirit does indeed live within us. So, well, and they were acquainted with people in whom the, uh, an evil, unclean spirit had yes, taken up residence yes. and Jesus had been casting them out right and left. And he did it just last time we were together. I mean, so, but it's it. interesting yeah. that he seems to be indicating here that it's possible for a demon to be cast out and without it being replaced yes. by a holy spirit that you're in a worse condition than you were before they'll just return yeah there's kind of a a displacement thing in a sense mm-hmm. you can chase the spirit out but unless the holy spirit's there filling that space you're you're vulnerable to just having them return and this you know this this also he's talking about this evil generation in a way he's talking in a bigger picture as well about right. the fact that jesus himself has come into this to this culture, into this right. society, and he'll have, um, for the short term, a cleansing effect in many ways, especially with the, the cleansing of the demons from people and stuff. But in the culture itself, here is God himself, the Holy Spirit manifest, boom, right there in their midst. And for a short period of time, something like the chasing off of a demon and someone goes away. But then can it be that when Jesus is gone, you know, after he dies, he's resurrected, is it possible that the effects that Jesus had during his three years of ministry will actually become much, much worse for the nation of Israel? So in a way, it's sort of like he's saying to the Pharisees who he's been battling with, um, I'm here for a while and I have a cleansing effect even on you guys. I have an effect here because I'm holy. But when I'm gone, 
things are really going to fall apart because you rejected who I am. And it makes me think of what happened in 70 AD some years mm-hmm. later. So so Jesus does have a short-term effect of cleansing, but for those who are really doubtful about who he is, the aftermath by you denying who he is is going to be so much worse later on. So you are interpreting this generation as a, a chronological generation, that period of time I when think, Jesus was in ministry. I think you can do it both ways. I think so too, because yeah. very often we find that, that the term generation biblically means not just a chronological period of time, right. but a characteristic of a group of people well, who all are generated from the same The source. generation that is evil, that is, right. a, we talked about the binary again, you're either for Jesus or you're against. And uh, Well, and he had called them a brood of vipers, right? Yeah, Those yeah, yeah. who were generated yeah. from the evil one or from that source of a liar. Right, right. A, an unbelieving liar. Yeah. So I, I really do think in a larger sense, uh, Jesus, for a while during these three years of ministry, really does push out Satan's ability to cause death and destruction like you know because he's there yeah, because he just reverses it at every turn right but then when he's gone people who don't recognize who Jesus is who are on the wrong side of that spiritual binary it's just going to get so much worse after he's gone I think that's sort of what he's saying right here but I mean the literal reality is yeah indeed a demon can occupy someone and if there's if the Holy Spirit doesn't take over that space in the interim the demon just comes back and says great we'll just start all over again okay so let's talk for just a second about how this can be true of us in this age right we can it's possible for a person to experience some deeply religious experience something Mm. they've said Mm -hmm. I've had a I've had a God encounter, right, right? Right. But if it does not go on to produce in them a repentance and a genuine turning toward God, yes. there will not be this, as you said, a displacement right. of the of the evil by the Holy Spirit taking up residence. We know that that only happens by faith in Christ. Yes. So yeah, he's talking yeah. not only about just having some sensational supernatural experience, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. having it yield in you a saving faith right where the holy spirit is resident right. inside you and and paul himself writes and says when you have a genuine conversion experience a born again experience then the the spirit of god is in you he takes up residence right in you. right so there's that defensive posture that the holy yeah, spirit and that's takes. actually what jesus said about the holy spirit he said he's going to be with you and he's going to be in you be in you yeah yeah yeah. Well, we only have a few minutes left, okay, so, so we should. Quick. Let's pick it out. Let me read for us <laughs> okay. in 46. So, um, so while he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. But he replied to the man who told him, well, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, so first of all, his mother was around and his brothers. Yeah, that's right. Right? So yeah. this is clearly we're in Galilee. This is where uh-huh. his family lived. Right, right. And and they can't get access to him, so they come and try yeah. and get into the crowd. Knocking on the right? door, right. But isn't that interesting? <laughs> is he dissing his mother and his family by what he says? He's not. No, he's not. He's not. But he uses the opportunity to say, you know, all of you who believe in me and who subject yourselves to the will of God, you're my family. Right. And, you know, in the ancient idea, family had a father and a mother and the kids. And the kids were just presumed to be um, workers in the father and mother's business and what they do. So if you follow the will of your father, you're a family. 
Right. But he says, now I'm redefining who the father is. It's not my father, Joseph. It's my father in heaven. Right. So what makes you brothers and sisters, co-workers in this joint uh, adventure? Well, if you have the same love for the father that I do, then you're my brothers and sisters. That makes us a family. That's what it is. So he's not really repudiating Mary and his brothers. In no. fact, in fact, John's gospel says that all of his brothers uh, disbelieved Aven- who he was. Uh, uh, until after the resurrection. Until yeah. after the resurrection. So they're, they're not going on the door right here. Uh, it's kind of you know. It's, well, because there's Joseph is not in the picture at this point, so he's the head of the family. Doesn't that's exactly and right? It's possible that they had some familial need, like uh, oh well, we can't do anything without the right, first that's born, right? right? And yeah, and it, it's all speculation at this point. But I always imagine whether they're knocking on their door saying, "I think this whole thing's getting out of hand. I think we need to have come home. We need to have them to come <laughs> home and uh, you know go back to the carpentry business or something because I know the brothers are not believing right here. Mary knows who he is, right? But they're they're clearly they're clearly a little disturbed and so jesus takes the opportunity to say there's nothing wrong with family but i want you to know that my father is the father in heaven and that defines the new idea of a family and even for us in this day right now that does as well you know even in in christian congregations and stuff like that we see each other as family members because we all have the same father because we become born again yes born into a new family when we come to believe in him right yeah, so it's really just a it's just a beautiful picture. But a lot of people misinterpret this and say, "See, you know, family connections don't mean anything." And he hates his mom and his brothers. Well, there's mm, no indication of that no, at all. No, no, no. He's just taking the opportunity to say that he is going about his father's business. And remember that thing when he's twelve and he goes back. Right. He stays at the temple and his parents go home. He says, "Well, I was just doing my father's business." Well, wait, isn't your father Joseph? No, father in heaven. Well, and he redefines family as anyone who does the will of my father. Well, we know that it's God's will that not any should perish, but that all should be saved. Right. So if we come to acknowledge God as our father and Jesus as the savior he sent, then we become part of the family of God. Right, right. And we're back to this sort of spiritual binary again, too, because Jesus says, if you're with me, you know you're for me and so you will actually be doing the same things i'm doing in terms of gathering people together into the kingdom of heaven that 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 makes you part of that family so here he is saying it the same thing all over again Mm. we're out of time again how does that happen Well, next time, I guess we come back, you come to chapter 13 next time, I think. Oh, I love Matthew 13. It's <coughs> yeah. full of parables. It's really great. So I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And you're not going to want to miss this next time on More, More Than, Than Ink. There are many more episodes of this broadcast to be found at our website, morethaninc.org. And while you're there, take a moment to drop us a note. Remember, the Bible is God's love letter to you. Pick it up and read it for yourself, and you will discover that the words printed there are indeed more than ink. What was that about? What was that about? (laughs) Okay. This has been a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City.